Hi, it's Rabbi Jimmy Goff. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, these are the Yom Kippur sermons that I gave during this year. And um, the first one is the one that was delivered on Kol Nidre evening, where I take a look at what's going on in our world today and um, the fact that maybe we are reliving biblical times. Um, not in terms of our technology, but in terms of our attitudes and observances and what we think we really get out of them, or maybe what we don't get according to the prophets. Anyway, I thank you so much for joining me. You can always email me at rav, as in victor, jim, at aol.com, or you could always call me at 610-624-3441. Again, I thank you for joining me, and shalom. Many on Yom Kippur begin their yearly fast by thinking of all the food that they won't eat. However, the rabbis and sages um, never had this narrow a view. I mean, come on, let's face it. To not eat is usually called, that's right, it, it, it's called starving. Rather, a fast had to bring sacred intent with it, or it was just starving oneself for a period of time. The importance was beyond the observance, the, the thing, the trappings, the mechanisms. Fasting had to be more, to mean more, and to actually have sacred freight. The commentator and famous rabbi and martyr, Nachmanides, taught and expanded upon the mitzvah that we are charged with on Yom Kippur afternoon in our Torah portion. This mitzvah, to be holy, he asked, why, why might this mitzvah be necessary? Why should we need to be told that we have to be holy? He offered the following answer. He said, you know, there are those who violate the Torah while claiming to keep the letter of the law. Thus they violate Torah and what it means to be Jewish on the premise that they're actually doing the most Jewish thing and that they're following Torah. The mitzvah to be holy is the mitzvah that teaches us as Jews to do what is right and correct, even when the Torah does not specifically instruct us in a particular case. What happens when we're told what is right and what correct? what's correct violates what we feel in our guts to be ethically and morally unacceptable? Well, I'll tell you a story. When I was uh, at Temple University as an undergraduate student, we had a gentleman by the name of Leon who used to run the kitchen at the Hillel at Temple University. And uh, he told me the following story. He, he had run several kosher delis in his life. And during one Passover, he, he had an interesting episode. The Canada dry truck pulled up to make the kosher for Passover delivery. Leon watched as the non-Jewish driver of the truck jumped out and had a stack of labels in his hand. 
and he began taking these labels and sticking them on the caps of the bottles. With curiosity, Leon saw the man place these bottles on a cart and roll them into his deli and proceed to hand him an invoice for the delivery with each bottle marked Kasha Le Pesach, costing a dime more than the regular price. Leon asked, What makes these bottles cost more? The driver answered, They're kosher for Passover. Now, although the Canada Dry was accepted as kosher by the rabbi who oversaw the kitchen, probably all of the Canada Dry was probably kosher for Passover, if you think about it, I wonder if it was kosher in the generic sense of the word. The word kosher has made its way into the vernacular of English, like so many other Jewish words. Though I am not convinced that Dictionary.com actually understands the meaning and use of the word. This is a true story. At this website, they offer the following use of the term kosher. Noun, informal, and here's the sentence as an example. Let's eat kosher tonight. Now, I have to tell you, that when I read this, I laughed and thought to myself, I have never heard somebody say this sentence, let's eat kosher tonight. It's like, honey, let's go out for kosher, or would you like to have Chinese? Beyond the, um, the associations with food and the definitions um, provided, we get also proper, and we get legitimate and genuine and authentic. When we engaged a soferet to make our scrolls kosher, we did not ask her to make them good enough to eat. We brought her in to make them proper and legitimate for a sacred reading of the scrolls. So when we move into the idea of something being kosher, well, let's just say as Reformed Jews, we, we don't really embrace this word so much when it comes to food. But we do need to embrace it and, and, and be more assertive when it comes to the kashrut of our values and our ethics. We should be in a quest to make our Jewish community kosher that is acceptable to the standards of decency and having moral standards that are our reflections of our values. Reformed Jews today continue to bring a prophetic message to our community about what is acceptable, kosher, inasmuch as the more traditionally bound movements demand a certain level of kashrut for the food served at Jewish functions, we should be no less demanding of what we consider to be kosher, acceptable, as Reform Jews. We might not necessarily understand the proper way to slaughter a chicken or a lamb or a bull, and honestly, we actually might not care. This should not stop us, however, from demanding, not, not just asking, but demanding, that those who claim to serve kosher food also serve food we consider to be proper and acceptable. The entire process, whether it is ingredients, production, or labor, should reflect the exhortations of our biblical prophets. One of those prophets, Isaiah, we will read from tomorrow morning. And boy, does he ever let the Israelites have it. He says, Is this the fast I have chosen? A day for man's self-denial? To bow his head like a bulrush, to, to grovel in sackcloth and ashes? Is, is this what you call a fast? A day Adonai would call acceptable? Kosher? Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loosen the fetters of evil, untie the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break the yoke, and wherever their yoke, to break it.
Is it not sharing your food with the hungry and bringing the homeless into your home? When you see the naked, clothe them, never hiding from your own flesh and blood? We find ourselves understanding Isaiah's fast as much more than a day without food and going through the motions. He did not see a fast, a striving for a more righteous world, as being about food. Fasts that focus on food are not fasts. They are delusions. Kashrut, that focuses only on the blood of the animal, and not the blood, sweat, and treatment of people, is also a delusion. Such fasts and claims of Kashrut are idolatry. They allow us to pretend to ourselves and others that we are pious while we act like Egyptians. Isaiah is reminding the people of a vital lesson. You were not given your freedom to put others in bondage. Ritual, for the sake of ritual, is ridiculous. For our observances are meant to create a greater sensitivity for others and not to be a shield by which we hide our apathy and disrespect behind a wall of piety. In 1969, the reform movement was in the forefront of demanding economic kashrut for people who were not Jews, not part of our social circles, rather people who needed to be paid a reasonable wage for hard and demanding work. Quote, the UAC, UAHC stated that these grape pickers, among the poorest working people in our land of plenty, have appealed to the conscience of the country to, for support in their desperate struggle to secure a collective bargaining agreement with the growers of table grapes. Therefore, the UAHC resolves to affirm its support of the grape pickers of California by urging all its members to support any initiative which will bring the growers to the bargaining table in hopes that those trying to arrange negotiations will act speedily before workers are forced to launch a new strike. The consensus seems to be that patience with the growers is running out, and that it is increasingly difficult to find moral justification for a neutral position on such a question of economic and social justice. That was from 1969. This issue again was raised its head in 1993 when we were again urged not to purchase California grapes because of the toxic chemicals used in their production and the exposure of workers to these chemicals. The fast we were looking for was and is one that makes us think and feel. We are to consider the person, whether it be the field worker in California or the factory worker in China, who suffers because they have to work in conditions that attack their health and reinforce as opposed to release their fetters. To echo Isaiah, Is this not the fast I have chosen to loosen the fetters of evil and untie the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and whatever the yoke, to break it? Whatever the yoke, to break it. To live kosher lives, to observe a proper fast, means that we have to be like God. We are to join God in acting as God did for us when we went free out of Egypt. It is our charge, our, our responsibility, our way of showing respect to act as God did by freeing others and creating opportunities for the oppressed to have hope 
for acts of intentional justice for all humans. Sadly, though, this should be a reminder to us not all Jews care about the way in which food comes to their tables. In fact, many Jews need to learn to adopt our sensibilities when it comes to observing kashrut, that is, eating food that is not just ritually slaughtered, but righteously delivered. In Postville, Iowa, we had an example of Jews who did not care about doing kosher, only keeping kosher. As it was reported, it all began with a whirl and flicker of helicopters on May 12, 2008, an incongruous sound in a tiny Iowa town tucked in mid-cornfields. All over Postville, people craned their necks from ordery lawns, phones rang, and gossip flew. Reverend Stephen Brackett, the town's Lutheran pastor, was on his day off and didn't hear the helicopters at first, but when his church secretary called him to tell him something unusual was happening, he at once suspected what it was. For years, there were rumors that the agriprocessor's meatpacking plant at the edge of town was under scrutiny by immigration authorities. Later that morning, Brackett's wife called with confirmation she had spotted two helicopters and immigration agents in jackets and flak vests down by the slaughterhouse. What was the response of our seemingly more religious co-religionists to the raid on this meatpacking plant? Were they aghast? Did it bother them that Jews were breaking the law in order to undercut the price of kosher meat? Sadly, the answer is no. One article covering the scandal, and this is, this is just egregious, shared, quote, The war on kashrut has begun and now raging through the courts, the media, and sadly, even within our own community, Thanks to a rash of glaring headlines and bloated one-sided editorials, agriprocessors in Postville, Iowa, a.k.a. Rubashkin, is facing allegations concerning its working conditions, treatments of workers, alleged animal cruelty, illegal immigration, and many other harsh accusations. That's right. In part, this website blames you and me for the fact that the Rubashkin family is accused of breaking the law. According to this logic, we should feel bad that we have a conscience and that our, our moral compass does not condone such behavior. The Rubashkin plant kept the price of kosher food low by violating the laws of our country. Apparently, they missed the Talmud lesson where it states, Malchuta Dina Malchuta, the king's law is the law we must follow as Jews, or the law of the land is the law. Their cornering of the kosher meat market violated most principles regarding how we act as Jews in any land. The conspiracy theorists just drive us further toward their belief that keeping kosher is not about acting righteously, but rather about claiming that we must be right because we follow God's laws regarding the narrowest of issues. Isaiah was followed by other prophets who taught and questioned this narrow focus on kashrut and fasting. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, Why is it why it why it is only why is it only required for butcher shops to be under religious supervision? Why not insist that banks, factories, and those who deal in real estate should require a heksher to be operating according to religious law? 
when a drop of blood is found in an egg. We abhor the idea of eating the egg. But how often there is more than one drop of blood in a dollar, and we fail to remind the people constantly of the teachings of our tradition. If we're going to live prophetic Judaism, we have to demand, like our prophets, that our concerns and our sensitivities and our religious values are also the basis of Jewish community. We need not cede moral and ethical standards to those who, to date, have remained silent regarding the Rubashkin raid, or worse, have defended the practices of the pharaohs in the name of money. If there was ever a need for Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, or Ezekiel, it is now, and we should look to our moral compasses to set our community on the right path. We Reformed Jews have to be the prophetic teachers who instruct and remind our Jewish community that there are greater standards than those made by self-serving businessmen in the middle of Iowa. There is a Torah and a history of teaching given to all Jews that should have prevented these examples of violating the law in the name of our sacred scrolls. It should be our mission to remind all Jews that prophets rose up to stand for what is right in God's eyes and what we know is right in the Jewish soul. Let us find the fast and observe the real kashrut that we and God would find worthy on this most sacred of days. Tzom call. May you have an easy fast.